in the air. How about you? I love the music here at Westside Baptist Church. I thank the Lord for the opportunity that we get to worship Him. This morning, last night, we had the uh, choir party and we sat around for a good 45 minutes and sang uh, Christmas carols and some of the songs that you sang this morning. And it was so beautiful to listen to our choir as they harmonized there with basically without instruments and just the beauty that was created. And I thank the Lord for the good music here at Westside Baptist. And I trust your soul has been blessed already. Amen? Well, we're going to get into this this morning. Maybe if my clicker works, and uh, let's see if it does or doesn't. Uh, it's not working right now. And we'll get it up on the screen as soon as we can. But turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, if you will. And uh, we're going to finish up stewardship this morning. Uh, I've taken five weeks this year to speak on stewardship. Usually about once a year we speak on stewardship in the month of November. And I didn't start the first Sunday in November, but so we're going to finish it up here this Sunday. Now, saying that, I have written a complete new message this morning that would normally take me about three or four weeks to do it. So put your seatbelt on and get ready to listen. You might want to take some notes this morning. I'm preaching at you this morning, all right? And I'm pre God has already preached at me this morning, and there are some marvelous truths in God's Word that I hope that you will uh, relish this morning and cherish as we get into it. This morning, uh, stewardship, the way of living, and talking about our attitude. And attitude is everything. I personally believe that we are going to be held accountable before God for our attitude attitude, whether we love God, whether we uh, love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul. And you and I need to ask ourselves, do we have a good attitude 
or a bad attitude. Now, some of you are parents in here, and you remember when your children had bad attitudes. What would you do? What would you say? You know, it was you as a parent, you didn't like your children to have bad attitudes, did you? Did you? Maybe you say, man, I, I like the attitude of my kids. Well, I had six of them. I knew when there was a bad attitude and a good attitude. And we need to understand what a bad attitude is. And we need to change our attitude so that it is a good attitude. Sometimes we need to wash our mind out. You ever wash your children's mouth out with soap? I thought my, my, my mom owned the soap factory when I was little. You need to wash your mind out. And listen, we need to identify what is a good attitude and what is a bad attitude. And the Word of God can help us to wash our minds out. I wrote this week on Wednesday, a holy dissatisfaction will cause us to make progress in our lives. If we get so used to a bad attitude that it becomes the norm of our lives, my friends, you need to change the norm of your attitude. And we need to recognize whether we have a a good attitude or a bad attitude. And let God's word help us to recognize it. Because if you have a bad attitude, you have a bad mind, you have an unhealthy thinking process. And if you have an unhealthy thinking process, you will have an unhealthy life. Both mentally, spiritually, and I believe also physically. I want you to turn, if you, well, I'll tell you what, I'll read this, these portions of scriptures. I don't know why my clicker's not working this morning. There it goes. Maybe I just need to bounce it off of, of Lucas's shiny head back there, and then it'll, it'll, it'll work. All right? I was reading this week, and I was thinking about what makes a healthy church. Just like I, I like to, to make my, I, I like to be healthy. For the last month now, approximately three, four weeks, I have been feeling healthy. And I tell you what, it is great to feel healthy. You all know what I'm talking about? And it's awful when you don't feel healthy. And I started reading this in my devotional Bible this week. And as I was reading it, I was thinking of what makes a healthy church. It is a church that is in the Word of God. Not only on Sundays, and praise God, we can come and we can have excellency in biblical truth in our Sunday schools, in our preaching. The strength of a church and making it a healthy church is solid biblical preaching. And yet our churches are getting away from it. And we are developing an unhealthy church and a healthy Christianity in America. I was reading about this not only on our Sundays but also in our daily reading. And I love our Bible pathways as you sign up for that for a year time in reading through the Bible. or Whatever you might set as your goals next year for reading through the Scriptures or uh, uh, reading a devotional guide or reading the New Testament or whatever it means. But getting into the Word of God. Here Paul is instructing Timothy the last book that Paul wrote. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. I'll say more about that as we talk about leaving a legacy. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? 
salvation is only one way in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's no other way. And we need to be very clear about that. When people talk about, well, I think it's this way or that way, that's your opinion. This is, thus saith the Lord, and I would much rather choose to believe what God says in His Word. Then he goes on to verse 16, and he says in verse 16... He says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Isn't that great? You start feeling unhealthy. You understand that there's something wrong in your life. The word of God, it corrects us. When we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17 says God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. Then he goes on into verse 1 of chapter 40. He says, I solemnly urge you, Timothy, to present the, uh, in the presence of God and Christ who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. In verse 2 it says, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time will come when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And then verse 4 says, and they'll reject the truth. And chase after myths. Man, I'm telling you what, folks. We need to be in the Bible today. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. I want to encourage you in your attendance to church. To be a good steward with your time. Be a good steward with your devotions. Make sure you set aside time for God. Don't be a bad steward of your time. And so we're going to talk about this attitude. And so we've been talking about this rich fool here in Luke chapter 12. And not to, 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 to go over the whole thing again, but in this, this parable, I'm assuming, yes, in this parable of the rich fool, we see that it is his attitude is of selfishness. And it is reflected in the views and values, and I put on their worldliness. And I want you to understand, we need to understand what is worldliness this morning. And it results in our own emotional distresses. People are unhealthy in their minds because they have the wrong attitude about the stewardship of life. Now, as I go through this rather quickly this morning, I could sum up this whole message in my philosophy of living. Is it about living for me Or is it about living for others? Is it about living for me? Or is it about living for Christ? And that's bottom line, isn't it? And you need to ask yourself, and we need to be honest with ourselves, who am I living for? And so this rich fool here, we find that it was his stuff. It was his comforts. We see this in verses 16 through 20. It was his concept. It was his ways. His eyes were here. And the Bible talks about... In Matthew 6, 23, uh, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. We talked last week about how his view was here on the world. That's what worldliness is. It's a view on the horizons of life rather than in the altitudes of heaven. Oh my. 
change our view. It'll change our attitude. Someday you're going to die. And you're going to face eternity somewhere. We are going to die. What is life all about? We see here in verse 30. Go to chapter 12 of Luke 12, 12 verse 30. He says, all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. God knows about our needs here. And uh, it says this is what the world is seeking. This is the world's view. It is a walk in the flesh. In, uh, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says, Love not the world. That's the things that are here. Neither the things that are in this world. If any man loves this world, and you need to understand this word love. Love is an attitude. Love is an emotion. Love is a substance of which takes over our heart and our, loves and our lives. Love the, uh, he says, love the Father. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's one way or the other. We see this, that if you, if you uh, uh, love mammon, you, you cannot serve two masters. It's one or the other. And we make choices every day, and that's what love is. Love is a choice. That's why God so loved the world. He's given to you the choice of accepting Him and loving Him and serving Him. He says, uh, the love of the Father is not in him. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. We have to ask ourselves, what do we love? Do we love our stuff or do we love God? Do we love our stuff or do we love people? Oftentimes, that will determine your decisions. I was reading this morning, this is, a, this is a marvelous verse. And you know, whenever you read verses, I, I'm starting to pick up some words that maybe I've just looked at over and over again, and all of a sudden, they're starting to make some sense to me. And I said, what does that word mean? It says, you, here, here it's talking about the wars and the struggles and the difficulties. He's talking about your prayers. He says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. That you might consume it. Upon your own lusts. I looked up that word consume. Do you know what the word consume means? It means to spend. It's an interesting word. It's the same word that is used of the prodigal who went out, he take, took his inheritance, and he went out, and it says after he had spent his inheritance. It's the same word as consume. And I started thinking about this. How am I spending my life? It says that they may spend it upon the word lust there is the word for pleasure. We are in a very pleasure-oriented society, aren't we? Do you know what the word pleasure comes from in the Greek word? Hedonist. A hedonistic lifestyle. Now, when you hear the word hedonist, do you think good or bad? He's saying that you're spending our lives, we're spending our lives upon our hedonistic style of living. Our pleasures. Oh, I tell you. My, my God. Help us to spend our lives wisely. What will happen is in this emotional uh, 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 
uh, uh, whoops, I better go back one there. We'll stay on, on that one. We'll, uh, a few verses here, though, uh, results in our emotions. And we begin to lie to ourselves. And, and it's not living for Jesus. It's living for ourselves. And, and I was thinking of, of the song. I was going to turn to it in our book uh, this morning. We sing this song, Living for Jesus. I, I came up with my own rendition of it this morning. It's uh, found on page... Uh, Uh, 363 in your books, 363 living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessings for me. I started singing this morning, living for myself, a life that is, is false, striving to please me in all that I do, yielding to my desires Glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of tragedy for me. One or the other. I hope we understand there's two choices on the shelf this morning for which we are going to select our, ourselves. Living for ourselves brings emotional distresses. Uh, we see this in Galatians chapter 5. Here in Luke chapter uh, 12 also, verse 22, it says, And he said to his disciples... Uh, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. The word there, take thought, is this anxiousness or this worry, worriedness. In uh, verse 29, he says, And seek not ye that ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. The word doubtful mind is a, a word picture here of a ship that is in a storm and is being tossed up and down. The emotional distresses that comes to a man who lives to himself because he has a lack of trust in God in his life. And he finds torment in his soul. Torment in his soul. Worries about the devourers, the poverty, the leanness of the soul that we talked about last time. Sleepless nights. He's not rich towards, his, uh, towards God and there. I, uh, in verse 21, it's about his view of God, how he values God. His cup's not running over. His cup is always empty. This is a person that might have an entitlement or an enablement mentality where he feels like he's entitled to his pleasures and things that he has, and he robs his soul. He robs his soul. So we've covered this now for some time, but I want to get us into now the attitude of the Savior. The attitude of the Savior. And this brings us into our Christmas season. Philippians chapter 2 says that God thought it not robbery, or Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He became, took on the form of a servant and yielded himself unto death, even uh, to the cross. And there Jesus gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. The view of the Savior, the attitude of the Savior it is reflected in our views and our values. And you notice there, instead of worldly, what's, what's the view and values there? Eternity. Are we living with the concept of eternity? By the way, God has put eternity in man's heart. Someday we're going to die and face eternity somewhere. It will result in our delights. Results in our delights. Oh, the delights of finding all that thrills your soul is Jesus. Rather than the emptiness that the things of this world bring. Do you know what month more people commit suicide than any other month of the year? 
December. They've lost sight of what Christmas is all about. They've lost sight of the value of things and people in their lives. First of all, this view is in uh, ownership, the view of ownership. God owns everything. I am to be a steward, which means I am entrusted with that which belongs to someone else. Have you ever thought and realized that everything you has have belongs to God? When you drove to church this morning, whose vehicle were you driving? It's God's. It's God's. Now, when my vehicle breaks down, I always remind God that it belongs to Him. <laughs> when, it, when it's running okay, I, you know, I sometimes forget. God, God spoke to my heart this morning and, and about some of my attitudes about ownership. You know that if you have the wrong attitude of ownership, you can become prideful in your lives. Everything we have belongs to God. It's not just, some people say, well, it's just 10%. No, He owns 100%. Isn't that right? He owns 100%. We see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. You know, these are hallmark verses here. You all know these verses. Let's quote it together. What? Know ye not, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. Everything, everything I own belongs to Him. God needs to be seen and reflected in my life as it belongs to Him. My life belongs to Him. Turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 now, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Might want to keep your finger back there in Luke in case we get back to it, but I think we're departing now from Luke, the rich fool, and we're just going to go through some some wonderful passages of scriptures. There's so much we could talk about, but uh, these verses God just laid on my heart this morning. In First, Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine. Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Uh, they had. Uh, been doing well in Second Corinthians compared to First Corinthians. First Corinthians it was all about themselves, and there were such struggles in the church. It was an unhealthy church. There was division. There was carnality. As it became a healthy church, uh, he's writing to them and he's reminding them of uh, the offering that they're going to be taking for the needy people in Jerusalem. The needy people in Jerusalem. Corinth is right by Greece. It's just a part of uh, our Athens there, now about uh, 45 or 30 miles from Athens, and so quite a ways from Jerusalem. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is reminding them of the, the Macedonian churches. How that those churches, which is... Uh, in their, their great trials of affliction, many of them were uh, persecuted greatly for their faith. But he says, even in their great trial of affliction, they had this abundance of joy. I mean, they were, they were going through the Roman uh, tortures and being outcast, 
and he says they had an abundance of joy. Well, Paul, what is what is their abundance of joy? What is this abundant life? What is this abundant life in Christ? It's our series. He says, and in their deep poverty, they didn't have much. They had so little. But they abounded unto the riches of their what? You think they felt poor? They didn't feel poor. They felt rich. Why? Because they were liberal, not Republicans and Democrats or politically. The, the idea of liberal there is to give freely. For to their power, to their abilities, to, to, to they, they, I bear record, yea, and beyond their powers, they were willing of themselves. Their attitude, the willingness of themselves, praying us with much entreaty. They, they, they didn't say, oh, Paul, don't ask for things. Don't tell us about anything. He, he said, they are begging, what can we do? There's an attitude here that brought an abundant life. I'm going to tell you something. The entitlement and it, uh, mentality today robs the soul of the abundant life. I am seeing people demoralized through our welfare systems and through the things that maybe can be freely handed out, but yet a person who resigns to it, it doesn't necessarily need it. There are people who do need it. I understand that. But there are some people who go and they take that system to its fullest extent and they lose the drive in their own souls to be a blessing to other people. Don't ever lose the blessing of being uh, to, to other people. He says, for up to their power and beyond their power, uh, they were willing of themselves praying. Verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. They wanted to help those poor folks in Jerusalem. It wasn't by constraint, but willingly. And this they did. Not as we had hoped, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Have you given yourself? Do you understand the ownership? Do I understand the ownership of my wonderful Lord? Verse 12. For if there be first a willing, what? Mind. It is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he does not have. I would hope that this morning our ownership, God owns me. I have been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns everything about me. And now I can have the right view towards other people. And I want to be a blessing every day. We should be getting up and saying, Lord, how can I be a blessing to someone else? If we get up every day and say, Lord, what can I get for myself? How am I going to advance my life? I'm going to tell you something. That mindset will drive you insane. Right or wrong? That's where we need to check our attitude. Will we have a good attitude? Here was the offering to the poor. God owns it all. 
What does he want me to do with what belongs to him? Being rich towards God. Brother Tetro wrote uh, a message and he sent it to me. He spoke at our 35th uh, anniversary. He's the Chancellor of International Baptist College. And uh, as he wrote this, this message, he talked about living giving and legacy giving. Living giving and legacy giving. And, and he said there's a time to get and there's a time to give. Where does that come from, by the way? There's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's time, time to live and there's a time to die. Isn't that right? And so from that passage, he, he talks about this uh, uh, living uh, giving and legacy giving. Living giving is while we're still alive, we have the idea of what does God want me to do with what he has given to me to invest into eternity. And this can be in the areas of various aspects of our life. What does God want me to do with what I have? Do we ask the Lord that? Do we pray that way? God, what do you want me to do with what I have? What do you have? Do you have time? Can you spend your time wrongly? You know, we need to make sure we're examining what our time wasters in our lives. The average person says, I don't have time for church. I don't have time to read the Bible. Yet the average household spends 27 hours a week watching television. They say the average household now spends somewhere around 35 hours. I believe that's the statistics I heard in some type of electronic engagement. That's almost an entire work week. We need to eliminate time wasters in our lives. God says, redeem the time because the days are evil. May God help us. We need to be spirit-led with how we use our time. We need to be spirit-led in how we give to the poor. Right or wrong? How we give and take care of widows, right or wrong? We need to be spirit-led in those things because we can misappropriate funds in the wrong directions and therefore miss what God had intended. Ponder that. We need to be spirit-led in our tithes and offerings, right or wrong? Shouldn't God lead us in what we give? Well, I'm just going to give tokens. God doesn't want tokens. God wants our hearts. I believe you should be spirit-led in what you give to missions, right or wrong. There's souls that are dying all over the world. Tonight we're going to have a missionary here. He's going to share his burden of 42 years in Brazil. He's been to our church so many times. He's such a blessing. We need to be spirit-led. God, what do you want me to do? We need to be spirit-led in the building project, right or wrong. By the way, those kinds of things can be legacy giving as well. Because legacy giving is giving for eternity that which will outlive us. And I dare say this building, if the Lord tarries, is going to outlive us. How about that? <laughs> and you men that worked at the building project and some of the ladies that came yesterday to the building project, do we see, do we sense, sometimes we get so busy, we get caught up with taking the toilets out or whatever it might be, tearing down these walls. We had a grand time, didn't we, Gary, yesterday? We tore, we, we, Brother Dean says, I sure hope we're as good as buildings as we are tearing down. <laughs> it's yet to be seen. We are getting good at tearing down. <laughs> but when we're out there, 
You know, sometimes we need to stop and say, Lord, thank you that you give me the privilege to invest into eternity. Legacy giving. I just want to encourage you to think about that. By the way, yesterday some of us stopped and we said, Lord, thank you for the weather. Amen, yesterday. Woo, glory. Sunshine and almost 60 degrees. If you're not thankful, God can give you the other. And by the way, sometimes God gives us the other so that we are thankful. Isn't that right? The problems and struggles of life. Legacy giving. Legacy giving. Uh, in this article, he's talking, and this is his second message on it, but uh, in legacy giving, he says in the first 15 years of this millennial, he says it is estimated that more than 14 trillion dollars will pass from the greatest generation to the next 14 trillion dollars that's just a little less than our national deficit statistics record that 70 of 100 americans die without a will one third of those will think that they have a valid will 80 percent of married women will become widows by the way, we have, I think, close to 40 widows now in our church, between 30 and 40 widows at Westside Baptist Church. He talks about what do we leave to our children. And he quotes from a man by the name of Reverend Timothy Dwight. He published a five-volume volume set in 1818. That was a few years ago. I don't think anybody was here during that time, was there? Uh, uh, Timothy Dwight is the son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards. Remember who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? He was also the president of Yale College. In his book, he writes from Proverbs uh, 22.6 about training up a child. Have you ever thought about the legacy that you leave in your children? Or the legacy that your parents have put into you? This morning, as I was thanking the Lord for the various things that have come in my life, I thank the Lord for the disciplines and the character that my parents gave to me and the work ethics. Now, when I was a youngster and a teenager, I didn't like raking the yard. I didn't like planting the bushes and things like that. But I look back on it now, and I am so thankful that my parents taught me work ethics. You and I need to understand how important it is for us to leave behind the values into our children. He speaks of educating our children in natural knowledge and moral knowledge. He says natural knowledge in reading, writing, and arithmetic because it is indispensable so that children can read the scriptures. This is the president of Yale in 1880, 1818, uh, uh, that they should read other religious books. Speaking further of natural knowledge, that sh children should learn some kind of useful business. Um, ordinarily, this is acquainted by practical manners and the things that are placed in a child's early life in business and learning things. He says there's no greater mistake in the part of parents that they neglect to educate their children in this knowledge of useful business. 
Almost all the wealthy in this country is in the excuse me. Almost all the wealth in this country is in the hands of those who have acquired it by their own industry. And almost all those who inherit fortunes uh, dissipate them early in life, spending the remaining days in poverty and humiliation. Ignorance of business and its consequences, idleness and uh, profusion, will easily and in a short time scatter any estate. A fortune is a pond, the water of which will soon run out. Well-directed industry is a spring whose streams are perennial. Teach your children to work. Amen? What did you leave behind? I'm going to tell you what. My parents left behind to me a work ethics, being disciplined in our lives. He talks about moral knowledge here, teaching your children about the Word of God, teaching them the values of piety and holiness, uh, teaching them that they're a sinner and they'll be exposed to the anger of God unless they come to Christ. Then the last thing he talks about is in this upon this industry, he says our, our parents should teach their children or graft into their soul economy. You know what economy is? Don't waste you ever think about waste? Do you think we live in a society of waste? You know what? Everything belongs to God. I don't want to waste anything. This morning I had a revelation in the shower. I'm always looking for ways to save money. You all know that, don't you? Because it's God's money. And you know, I decided I can turn off the shower while I'm soaping up. Therefore, the soap lasts longer. And instead of doing two squirts of body wash, I can do one squirt of body wash. And do you know what? That is a 50% savings. How many of you have your money invested into something that's making you 50%? You all know what I'm talking about? You know, we talk about, man, I'm only getting a half a percent of money on my interest on my money in the bank. You know, you can make 50% in the shower. I have some other key things I could share with you in a different setting here. Teach our children not to waste. You know why? You teach them to value what they have because it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to others. You know, most of folks today, they don't even value what belongs to others. By the way, doesn't that pan out in our work ethics, in our employment policies? Value what belongs to others? All right, so here in this, and I need to, I need to, I spent too much time there. I don't know why I did. But, but anyways, this, this whole idea of being spirit-led and asking God, what do you want me to do? But here's what happens in our minds. Well, if God shows me that, how in the world am I going to be able to survive? Or how? I mean, God, if He He takes me, He takes me to Africa, or He does this. You know, our minds run that way. Our own understanding. Thirty-five years ago. Thirty-five years ago, this January, I made the decision to do what God wanted me to do. And I thought, we'll never be able to. Y'all were here last week. I talked about that. You know what? 
the decisions that we make 35 years ago affect our future. And we might not be able to see what God's going to do. But let me just say this also, not only 35 years, but 100 years and into eternity. Do what God tells you to do. Hey, you all remember the, the, uh, the old situation about that uh, waitress at Hometown Buffet? How could you forget your pastor? What a rotten scumball he is. Well, for you that know, the preacher got right with the Lord finally and did what he was supposed to do. And here, can, can, I, just, Leanna, can I just be honest with you about what goes on in my thinking? Ron, if, Leon, if I, if, I give that, if I give that money, I'm going to be out that money. I'm going to be out that money. And we leave God out of the equation. And I went back and I gave to, that, uh, to their place that money for that little tip. And you know... I'm thinking in my mind, there's not going to be anything comes back from that. That's how my mind works. How, how, does your mind work like that? We're just, okay, God, here it is. Good attitude or bad attitude? Bad attitude. Does God bless us whether we have good attitudes and bad attitudes? He does. And truly, Wayne, I didn't deserve the blessings of the Lord. You all know about my leak and my, my roof. I've had that roof leak for two years. I've had roofers out there on two occasions to fix the leak, and it still leaked. It was after that giving that guess what I was able to discover? Where the roof leaked. And do you know how much it cost me to fix the roof leak? Zero. Do you know how much it saved me, that zero? It saved me some $700. And you know what God says? Now, this is how God speaks to me. He says, you remember when you were thinking that you're just going to lose it? It's gone. Can you remember that that roof leaked for two years and I can bless you beyond your understanding, beyond your imagination? Do you know how close it was to the spending of $700? It was two days days from a two-year project. That's how great our God is. And He does it time and time again. Amen? We have a great God. But in our minds, we limit Him and we have a bad attitude. <sighs> no man can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is about our love. Do we have the right love? As it says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while some covet after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There is emotions that are attached to love. And oftentimes, our emotions are attached to the things that we love. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By the way, did you ever read the last chapter of Job? Do you ever see what God's uh, multiplication process was there? 
Do you remember what, what, what Job lost and what he got back? What did he get back? Double. Remember my toothpaste revelation? You know, you begin to look at that doubling and, and the multiplication process of God in the scriptures. Oh, doesn't the Bible say it's more blessed to give than to receive? Then last, last just want, I want you to see this before we go. This is in first, 2 Corinthians 6, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8. By the way, this is right after uh, 2 Corinthians 8, which we just looked at. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8. But this I say. Who's saying it? God. Does God mean what he says? Does God know about what he says? Do we argue with God? How many argue with God? Can I see your hands? Yeah, we all argue with God. Do we think we know better than God? Seems to be that way, doesn't it? We know we don't, but it seems like it. This I say, he which soweth sparingly, what? He's going to reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also, what? Bountifully. Bountifully. Now, every man, according as he purposes in his heart, this is our attitude, so let him give. Not what? Grudgingly. By, by the way, we do this, don't we? Okay, I'll do it. And God just makes me feel like a heel when I have that attitude. Or of necessity. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to rob your soul because of a bad attitude. God loves a what? Cheerful giver. The Greek word, you all know what the Greek word is there. Greek word there is hilarious, which we get our word hilarious. You know, it would it'd be something as we were, whatever, take up an offering or something going on and just, just get that thrill in our soul. You know what we need, to, we need to do in our attitude? Say, Lord, thank you for the privilege to be a blessing. Thank you that you lay things on my heart. Thank you that you speak to me. Thank you that you save me. Doesn't the Bible say enter into his gates with... Verse 8 says, promise, God is what? Able. You know what the word there, able, is? It is the word dunamis, which we get our word dynamite. It is the, uh, it is the, 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 the most used word for power. God is all-powerful. To make all grace abound. 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 Look at that word abound. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Do you know where that word abound is found in the New Testament? It's used a few places. But in almost every gospel, it is used in the taking up of the baskets after feeding the 5,000. You remember that? Remember how much they had? They had five loaves and two fishes. 
And after they gave out and they fed some five to 15,000, we're not sure the exact amount. It says 5,000 men in one portion of scriptures. And it says, now go up and take that which is abounding. That's what's left over. That's the same word here. Does it make any sense that two fish and five loaves can feed 5,000 people? Does that make sense in your math? Does that make sense in your math? And God says he uses the same word that it might abound to all sufficiency. Do you know how to live the abundant life in Christ? Live the life of Christ. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I'm going to tell you something. He that soweth sparingly, his soul is going to reap sparingly. We're not talking about just Roofs being fixed. We're talking about the attitude of our soul. And many people are unhealthy because they will not follow the word of God. He's able to make it all abound to us. Our God is so great. The attitude of stewardship. Everything belongs to either me or to my Savior. Ken Collier said there are two choices on the shelf. Serving God or serving self. I wrote this past Wednesday, when you come to the attitude that you love God, that we love God, we will step beyond the boundaries of self and into the Savior's territory. And then we'll have the abundant life. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken over, running, shall men give to your bosom with the same measure that you meet. With all it shall be measured back to you again. You know, I I think of it, he talks about this present active of giving. And then he talks about the future passive of how God will bless your life. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Our time is gone. You've listened well. Our time, uh, much material given to us. I hope that you remember some of those Greek words that we talked about. When you read those portions of scriptures, understand that this is God's word. Understand of what God would have for us in our lives. Oh, I'm telling you, my friends, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, He says, I'm not giving you this for my account, but for your account. That we as born again believers might live the healthy life by living the life that God has given to us in Christ and making sure that our attitude follows the scriptures. And right now, why don't we just stop and say, Lord, help me to be a spirit led Christian. Help me, Father, to find this abundant life. My soul has leanness in it. And we have gotten to the norm of such selfishness that we don't even realize what it is to live a Savior-sensitive life. I, I, I tell you what, I am so amazed of how much garbage there's in my own life. How many decisions I make on a daily basis that is so selfish. How about you? How about all of us? Oh, God, help us not to live a selfish life, but a Savior-seeking life, a Spirit-led life. Oh, God, with our heads bowed now and eyes closed, speak to our hearts as you have through this message, through the power of the Word of God and through the Spirit working. Father, there's nothing more that I'd want for Westside Baptist Church than that it would be a healthy church. Lord, we just have to start recognizing those pits in our soul that are causing our misery.
And we're not living the abundant life. To all of us, I know we can improve. To every one of us. And Lord, what a thrill it is. What a thrill it is. I pray that, Lord, that we'll make right decisions. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our time is gone. So how are we going to do? What are we going to do with the message today? Will you make the right decisions today? I hope you've already been making the right decisions. I hope you have. All for Jesus. All for Him. I wonder if there's someone here that doesn't know for sure they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Why not today come to Christ? Then... God spoke to your heart. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would hope that every hand would be raised. And you would say, God, I see too much self inside of me. We make progress. I'm thankful for God's mercy, His grace. Boy, I've seen His hands extended right now. Lord, let me lay aside myself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, become a living sacrifice living sacrifice I need to place my all, all on the altar I need to place myself there it all belongs to the Lord everything so Lord help us with our decisions now for your glory in Jesus name amen let's stand to our feet we're going to sing uh, all for Jesus we'll just sing the verses that's on the screen up there let's sing them together all for Jesus let my hands be firm his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Best way. Let dedication. How about you? May God help us in our decisions. Well, if there's other decisions to be made, please come and visit with us. There's a bunch of sign-up lists there on the back. And as we go our separate ways to Sunday school, wherever it might be, may God work and continue in our lives. You are dismissed.